0: Peter, uh, Peter's first letter uh, to the church as he writes uh, to the people who are located in basically five basic uh, provinces of Asia Minor. He names those off in the first verse of chapter one, and we want to look at chapter one, verses one through nine this morning. What I'd like to do is read the text and make a few comments as we go through the the verses there and uh, and then we'll get an outline there and I trust that this encourages your heart this morning. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens. So he's writing to uh, believers in Jesus and he He describes them as those who have an alien status. Let that sink in. He says they reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So that's his introduction. He names himself there. So the writer names himself at the beginning of the letter. The writer is Peter. He was part of that inner circle of those disciples of Jesus. He is an apostle. He's the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost uh, to preach the gospel uh, following the reception of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Peter who had denied Christ. And now he's emboldened at Pentecost to preach Jesus as Savior. And he's preaching to sinners at that time. And this is later, and he's writing this letter to encourage the hearts of those who reside as aliens. Scattered, and they're scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. If we had time, we'd open to to a map. I've got a nice map in the back of my Bible, the very last map in my Bible that shows the journeys of Paul, the three missionary journeys of Paul. And you get a pretty good picture of Asia Minor. And these places are, they're far removed from Jerusalem, where everything was centered to start with. So these people are on the fringes of the known world. But, uh, but they matter. It's a real, a real good point for you and I. You may feel like you're, you're uh, on the edge. You might feel like you're out there. Nobody uh, really pays any attention to you or knows you or cares about you. But, but God knows. And God, God knows these people then and there. And uh, and the Lord knows you. Um, yeah, he says he describes them as those who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That's comforting. Nothing random here. They might be on the outskirts of where everything's happening, but nevertheless, God knows them. God knows. About them God wants to save them because we know they were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit uh, for a purpose not just that God knew them but that they would obey Jesus Christ that they would receive him they would receive the forgiveness of sin through his life death burial and resurrection And that they would live a life of obedience to Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That they would be mindful of the blood of Jesus. That they would consider the blood of Jesus as precious blood. The writer over there in Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We know that for years and years and centuries uh, that the blood of bulls and goats was shed, that these bulls and goats were sacrificed and blood shed, but that those the blood of bulls and goats is insufficient toward the, the cleansing from sin, toward the forgiveness of sin. The only blood that satisfies is the blood of Jesus, the blood of the spotless lamb of God. And when the blood of Jesus is applied to our lives by faith, we receive that forgiveness of sin, that cleansing. And, and, and Peter offers this, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure And that extends to this day to you. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. That you would be cognizant of the grace of God. His unmerited favor toward you. That you and I don't deserve. His slightest thought. We certainly don't deserve the sacrifice of his only son for our sin. But nevertheless, that grace... Is to you. And that grace is to me. God's riches at Christ's expense. And then he says peace. It might sound. uh, A little far fetched for the world that we live in. Peace. Peace in this world. I mean here even in. In this county, there are times we have to fight traffic. There are times we're not even at peace with ourselves. But he extends grace and peace. This is not the grace nor the peace that man manufactures. This is of no uh, human invention. This is the grace of God to you and the peace of God in your life. And he says what? He says, may grace and peace be yours. Be in your possession. And may you have this grace and peace in the fullest measure. I trust you'll receive His grace and His peace today. And then verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So. That's what we've been doing today. We've been blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been blessing Him in our fellowship with one another, in prayer. We've been blessing Him through the reading, the public reading of the Scripture. We've been blessing Him through song uh, we continue to bless him, to praise him, to give him the glory and the honor. We just, we just thank God that he is a God who speaks to you and I. I mean, he, he could be God that just kept all this wonderful information and wonderful salvation to himself, but he doesn't do that. He speaks to us. He instructs us. He encourages us whether you're sitting toward the front or toward the back, whether you've been here and been attending this congregation for years or whether this is the first Lord's Day. You've showed up here on, a, on the Lord's Day morning. Uh, the Lord extends this grace and peace to you in the fullest measure and the blessing of God is on you. And, it, and he goes on, he says, who according to his great mercy... Not just everyday average ordinary mercy, but mega mercy right there in verse three, according to his great mercy tells you a lot about our God he's not a he's not a god who flies off the handle and in the business so to speak of uh, hurting people's lives he in fact is uh, the great god and father of our lord jesus christ who extends mercy to us and this this simply means that while we're deserving of the consequence of our sin now what might that be well it might we would think of the worst punishment we're sinners we've We've gone our own way, we've rebelled, uh, we're, like, uh, we're like sheep in that way, we just wander off on our own and do our own thing. But we have a God in heaven who, according to his great mercy, and when we deserved the consequences for our sin, our rebellion against God, The Lord extends his great mercy. So mercy has more to do with the consequence of sin. So according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So by his mercy, according to his great mercy, you and I are born again. We obtain spiritual knowledge concerning our sin and the promise of salvation for those who believe in Christ. And so according to His great mercy, it's not man's invention, it's not anything that you and I could accomplish or merit on our own. This is God's doing. And so out of that great mercy... He has caused us to be born again. It's not enough to be born once. You must be born twice. We're born once into this physical life, but you and I must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. So he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that's the witness today. We bear witness with Peter's witness that Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully divine. He came to this earth. He lived without sin. He spoke the truth. He accomplished miracles. He bled and died on the cross. He rose again from the dead, there it is, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He rose from the dead on the third day, He left behind an empty tomb, and he lives forevermore. And and he says that we, he says, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is a true born-again experience. When you trust Jesus, the one who is life, uh, you're made new. Second uh, Corinthians 5:17 comes to mind. Verse four, he says, um, "So we're born again, but for what purpose? Verse four, to obtain an inheritance." That should cause your ears to perk up inheritance. He's talking to you. He's talking of those who have received Jesus, who have been born again, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable. That means it won't rot, it's undefiled and will not fade away. It's permanent. It's precious. He says it's reserved in heaven for you. So there's an inheritance for those who've been born again. And this inheritance is in heaven and it's reserved for you. He goes on to describe those who have this alien status. Those who have been born again. For you who are what? Protected by the power of God. This is to encourage your heart. I think sometimes folks think that we're, we're subject to the forces of this world. But right here, he says that those who receive Jesus, those who've been born again, are protected by the power of God through faith For salvation to be revealed in the last time, he connects uh, this protection and faith. Are you trusting him? I would encourage you to trust the Lord. Put your life in his hands. Because you're protected by the power of God. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. This life is full of trials. Might be a garage door that won't open. Might be something else. Might be something even more disastrous than that. But he says, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, but you rejoice. He says, so that the proof of your faith, the trials are just evidence that our faith in Christ will be tested in this life. And the true faith withstands the pressure of the trials of this life. So that the proof of your faith. If your faith is real, you'll withstand the pressure of the various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise in glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is the engrafted word that is able to save our soul. It is that word that will not pass away. It is that word upon which all the promises are established. And we give you thanks, Lord, for today we we say that this word is enough and Lord we would take it and hold it close to read it and consider it and to take it in in order to be encouraged by it I pray Lord for your encouragement from these few verses for each one um, that we would not be discouraged, that we would not live out our days in hopelessness or helplessness, but that you would help us, Lord, and you would invigorate our souls today. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So the We've got the apostle Peter there in verse one, and we've got these folks that he's writing to, and that is always a matter for great discussion and debate. Who's he writing to? Who would these people be? Who would these Christians be who are living in Asia Minor, far from Jerusalem, far from Galilee? Where would these Christians have come from? It basically comes down to two things. They're probably Pentecostal pilgrims. These, These people may have heard Peter on the day of Pentecost. As you know, all the people, all the Jews would go back to Jerusalem. They would go for the great feast days, the great holidays, Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. They would make that pilgrimage. They would make that journey. It just so happened that that... Pentecost Day, Peter, uh, upon the reception of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came down upon those 120 in the upper room, we have Peter standing to preach. And then what would the people do? Well, we know that some received Jesus that day. They heard him preach. They heard the gospel of Jesus. And they would have gone home at the conclusion of that celebration. And in that, they would have taken Christianity back to their homeland, whether it was Pontus or Galatia or Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Who knows? Some people believe that Peter actually made made his own missionary journey to these places. Over there in Acts 16, where Paul's forbidden to go where? To go to Bithynia. It's mentioned right here Some think he was forbidden to go there because Peter already had a work going on in Bithynia. We just don't know. But there's one other possibility, and that is Roman colonization. There's a Roman Empire going on at this time, and these emperors were always interested in furthering the reach of the Roman Empire. They were always, always about deporting a certain number of citizens or non-citizens to these outer reaches in order to colonize, in order to start a community, a town, a city. That happened all the time. And then they'd change the name of the town. I was reading one example under Claudius. Claudius was big into this Roman colonization. Well, the idea is They would take these people from around the vicinity of Rome and they would send them east to colonize. Some of these may have been Christian people. So that's the idea. Claudius, he had a a town named after him. I found this kind of amusing. He called it Claudiopolis. How'd you like to be from Claudiopolis? Oh, my goodness. Well, anyway... Uh, These people, I I think probably all, there's something to all of these suggestions on these people. But I find it very interesting concerning how these people are uh, addressed. I want you to look at that. Peter says, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout. Asia Minor in these five provinces, they're aliens, he says, and in that he is uh, he is saying they're not first and foremost citizens of those areas, those towns or cities, those provinces, but that they are first and foremost citizens. Of another kingdom, of a different kingdom, of another realm, uh, the kingdom of God. and he the way he puts it is that they're basically sojourners. and I think we can apply that to ourselves. In fact, I, I find more uh, more ammunition uh, so to speak in the in the Bible here over in Hebrews 11. He says that, uh, this is verses 13 and on down. He's talking about these wonderful people that lived by faith. They lived according to the word of God. They lived by faith. They trusted the unseen God. And right there in verses 13 and following, he says, all these died in faith. I would suggest this morning pretty strongly it's 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 it is well and good and it is necessary to live in faith and it's just as necessary to die in faith. What that mean? That means to die trusting God to die according to his will, firmly trusting him. He says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were, there it is, strangers and exiles on the earth. That goes right along with uh, Peter saying aliens. He says they're strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking what? A country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Meaning they, they left, like Abraham, left Ur of the Chaldees and began his journey following the Lord. The writer here is just saying, if they'd been thinking that uh, what they had left behind was so wonderful, they would have at some point tried to return. But that really wasn't first and foremost on their mind. He says, but as it is, there in verse 16, they desire what? A better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's a powerful statement. It's one that you and I would uh, do well to dwell on. And that is while we live in this country, we love this country, the freedom that is provided here for us to gather, to worship, to speak, As good and wonderful as this country is, I'm going to say this, right out of the Bible, there's a better one waiting. And we should should involve ourselves into thinking about that other country. I know, this life, the things of this life crowd in. We get busy. We have things to do, we have places to go, we have dreams to accomplish, what have you. But never forget, there's a better country waiting. And as one who loves Jesus, as one who has expressed faith in Christ and received Christ, um, that, that better country is promised for all who what? For all who, who die in faith. Should Jesus tarry for all those who die in faith, there's a better country. And I'm reminded it's, uh, it's established on better promises. Now, I love the Declaration of Independence and I love the Constitution of the United States. Wonderful documents. Uh, stating that we're blessed with certain inalienable rights and that the rights we have are not given by any man, but, but are God-sent. I love those documents. But you know the better country we're looking for is established on a better constitution? It's established on the Word of God. And, uh, and heaven and earth, Jesus said these words, heaven and earth will pass away, but not the smallest mark of this Bible of this word will ever pass away. That uh, that better country you and I are looking for is built and founded and established on a better constitution. I'll say it that way. And I love the one we got down here, but it's earthly and it's man-made, but the one that we have here for the better country is rock solid. Well... Let's see where we are. I do have an outline. I want to give that to you. So let's go back to 1 Peter. We got three points. I want you to be encouraged by this uh, passage. So first of all, let's look at the fact that you and I as aliens, and the title of the message, John, is Alien Status. Alien Status. That's what we have, Alien Status. Uh, I'm really glad to be a citizen here. But I'm much more glad to be a citizen there. Amen? Alien status. And as aliens, we have, number one, a new life. A new life. So, it goes right there to verse 2. We're chosen by God according to His foreknowledge. To the foreknowledge of God the Father... By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. That is a, a description of the new life, the spiritual life that you and I have received. Second uh, Corinthians 5:17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. I like, uh, I like the verse further down in the chapter here. that talks about the former life that we lived. And I'm looking for that verse right now. It was right there yesterday. It was right there this morning. There it is, Verse 18. Of chapter 1, he says, knowing, this is what you know as, as born-again believers with alien status, you know that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your what? Your futile way of life. See, life without Christ is futility. It's vanity. It can be even a good life by some estimations, but it's a futile life. I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's very difficult to find your true purpose in life apart from God, the one who put you together. The former life is a feudal life. It's a life without purpose. It's a life void of the knowledge of God. It's a life of, of sin. He says, Your feudal life, feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers. So our forefathers, our ancestors passed this life to us, were born. We live, we die. But the Lord says, you have to be born again. And when you're born again, you go from that futile way of living to a purposeful, meaningful way of life. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about new life in Christ. If you've never experienced new life in Christ, you've never been born again. You've never taken the spiritual knowledge of Christ, his death on the cross. His burial and his resurrection from the dead and and trusted Christ to save you. Trust him to save you. As soon as possible, trust Jesus. You'll be delivered from a futile way of life, a futile lifestyle, and you'll be brought into the family of God and the Bible will be opened up to you and you will begin to understand more and more about God and more about His ways and more and more about His promises to the believers. So it's a new life. That's number one. Secondly, not only do we have a new life, and with it comes this alien status, but we're blessed with a new hope. A new hope. I don't know about you, but I've been impressed with the level of hopelessness in our society. It seems like everything bad is on the rise. Everything negative, everything dark, everything nonsensical. Seems like it's just taking on uh, this new dimensions and parameters. It's just bigger than any one of us or all of us put together. I don't know have you noticed It's just like what do we do about this? And there's a sense of hopelessness. It's no use. it's uh, what, what's life about? It's a darkness in our society in a fog among people. I know it sounds odd to say, but I think there's I think there are folks in our in our time that want to merchandise hopelessness. They just seem to get a lot of uh, satisfaction out of uh hopelessness. Hmm. But that's not the way it is for a believer. Look at this. Verse 3. When you're born again, when Jesus is your Savior and you've made that public testimony that you've trusted Jesus and His blood has... Uh, for by his blood your sins have been forgiven he says you're born again to a living hope yeah Christians have a lively hope in God our hope is is in heaven our hope is in this yeah what did he say here in verse 4 the inheritance we forget there's a, there is a life after death Our lives are like a vapor. They're here and gone. Time is so short. Eternity is so beautiful. It's so everlastingly eternal. Never runs out. It's a living hope. And we've been born again to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But this living hope is not focused on the here and now. The living hope that we have is for that better country, built on better promises. That's our living hope. And in that living, in that country, built on better promises, reigns the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's what makes it better. Jesus. King Jesus. And that country's is better. Um, I'm trying to, trying to think how I can convince you it's so much better. Um, there's an inheritance there waiting for the believer, and there's no inheritance tax. <laughs> I guess. No inheritance tax in heaven. No medicine in heaven. No uh, no kids worrying about their parents in heaven. No parents worrying about their kids in heaven. Hmm. Just joy, unspeakable. Just the reign of Jesus in heaven. Ain't no war in heaven. Amen. No war in heaven. No strife in heaven. No nonsense in heaven. No universities in heaven. No grade cards in heaven. That's what I called them when I was in elementary school. The kids are out or they would have uh, They'd have given me an amen on that. No grades in heaven. I'm just trying to tell you this morning, it's a better country. And we're aliens down here. We're sojourners. and And, and the longer I'm here, the more alienated I feel. Just being honest. This morning. In that way. So we have a new hope for a new life. We have a new hope. And then, and we'll finish it up here. I thought long and hard about how to say this last point because it's really important. I started with a new responsibility, but no, that won't work. We have a new preoccupation. We have a new preoccupation. I want to show you this. Because, this, listen, I hear it all the time. What are, I mean, what are we to do? What are we to do? We live in, in, let's just say, interesting times. What are we to do? How are we to carry ourselves? I mean, you know, we got, we got people who want to talk to us about global warming on a day like this. I'm really trying here. I'm I'm really trying to convince you there's a better country. But we have a new preoccupation as believers. I want you to think about this long after we've dismissed this morning. I want you to look at verses 5 and on down. Peter says that we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now what that means is the Lord God orders our steps. I mean, you can, listen, you can fear death or you can fear the cause of death all you want. But true peace... The peace of God is is digesting the truth that he states in verse 5. I know I have a lively faith in God. I have trusted God. Therefore, he is protecting me and it's all by his power. Does that mean that people don't die? No, that's not what that means. It means we are trusting him. With life, matters of life, and we are trusting him as believers with alien status, with matters of death. That's what it means. And there's no point in fearing. There's no point in being afraid. We'll read on. So that's, that could be preoccupation number one. Here's preoccupation number two, right there in verse six. In this, in what? In what he just said. You, that's those of you with alien status, you're citizens of another realm, you what? You greatly rejoice. Praise God. I don't hear fear there. All I see there is confidence in God that even when I don't know exactly what's going on, God always knows what's happening. God always knows. And I can trust our only wise God with this. In this you greatly rejoice. So I want to be preoccupied with God's protective hand over my life. I want to be preoccupied with rejoicing in in his protection. And then he says, even though now for a little while, he says, you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So it, it sounds like we can greatly rejoice even when we are in the midst of various trials. Why? Because the joy is on the inside. And the joy is because God knows about these trials. God knows about your hardships in life, your difficulties. Those that you live with day to day and those that may just pop up once in a while. He knows all about it and we can greatly rejoice in that. He says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. So all of this is for a purpose. It is for His praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. And that's a reference to His appearing. And though you, here's another preoccupation, though you've not seen him. Anybody seen Jesus? No, he's not here. He's risen and he is ascended to the right hand of the father in heaven. But he says, even though you've not seen him, you do what? You love him. We should be preoccupied with loving Jesus. Jesus. Even though we don't see him, we can read about him in the pages of Scripture. We know the grace he offers. We know the mercy he offers. We know that he's a friend of sinners. We know that whosoever believes in him shall be saved. Even though you've not seen him, you do what? You love him. We need to be preoccupied with loving Christ. How many of you believe that'd be a good preoccupation? Some of us are preoccupied with checking the headlines every five minutes. We're not going to ask for a show of hands. I might have to raise mine. We do that, right? We get hooked on this stuff. We need to be preoccupied with loving Christ. And though you do not see Him now, anybody see Him now? No, we don't. But what? We believe in Him. There's a preoccupation. Loving Jesus and believing in Jesus. Loving Jesus and believing in Jesus. That He has your best interests in mind. Your salvation. He says, you greatly rejoice. You can't put... Well, I guess you can put more superlatives in a sentence, but... He maximizes this rejoicing. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. No words. Is this joy? There are no words. And what? Full of glory. A preoccupation. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith. You mean there's a point to faith in Jesus? Yes. It's the salvation of your soul. He saves all who call upon him. He saves those who repent and believe. Repent of your futile way of life and trust Christ. Trust him for a new life. Trust Jesus for the new hope. And trust him for the new preoccupation. Who wouldn't want to be preoccupied with the protective power of God? Who wouldn't want to be preoccupied with, with God's love? Who wouldn't want to pre- be preoccupied with trusting Him, believing in Him, rejoicing in Him, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls? One day we'll join in that heavenly country and uh, praise Jesus forever. Father in heaven, thank you for the time. Thank you for this day. And Lord, the work the work is in our hearts, each one. So Lord, move us, the believers, move us closer to you, move us into a greater preoccupation with uh, spiritual things and focus on Christ. And, um, and then for anyone here, who wants to know more about Christ, more about salvation, um, we pray for them, God, that they would confess Jesus today, that they would receive him, that they would be born again. And and we just pray your blessing on them today. And we uh, ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.